Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast Investorpreneur, where investors meet entrepreneur. Here we talk about everything investing, business, raising capital, venture capitalists. And today I've got a very special guest. He's going to remain anonymous, but he's going to share some important, but valuable insights with us today. So as you all know, my name is Peter Leung and I'm a global real estate investor. I own, invest, develop properties around the world, mainly in the commercial space. But as you have seen me on videos or I'm working on stage with serial entrepreneurs and investors, I'm also a private equity business and angel investor as well. So today, my mystery guest is Mr. G. He is currently in China and he's worked all around the world. Specifically, he's worked for major companies like Oracle, McAfee. He's also worked in China and cybersecurity. He's been in China for well over 20 years. He's traveled the world. He's seen the world and he's worked all around the world. Mr. G is also a partner in the VC firm focused on early stage startup investments in the Silicon Valley. He's done it inside. He's done it outside. He's seen it all. And I am blessed and privileged to have this man share his insights with us about the world of investing in the Silicon Valley. So Mr. G, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you, Peter. You're so kind. <laughs> thank you for having me. I love it because you share something that really boggles my mind, really inspires me. The conversations we've had is just impeccable. So here's the thing, right? Today, we're going to talk a little bit about investing, Silicon Valley, venture capital, early investing, but all around investing with tech, because that's the space, cybersecurity, this like the back of your hand. So you've also done early rounds of investments from C through Series B and even beyond. Here's the thing, Mr. G, we understand the risk of investing and the rewards of investing in early startup, right? There are formulas which VCs work at. There's things that you look at from a valuation standpoint of an early startup. What are some of the key attributes that you look for in a venture capitalist in the Silicon Valley? That's very interesting, Peter. Let's be a bit more specific in Silicon Valley, VC, okay. because I honestly think they may be one of the best because you have all these talents and of course there's the capital of the world and the tech capital of the world also from Silicon Valley. There's a lot of money there, there's a lot of projects, but most of all, a lot of talents. So if you are investing in early stage, especially in early stage, you are absolutely investing on the founder. So you are really counting on the founder, the talent, that whether he or she uh, will be able to deliver what he or she promised that, that is, is going to get done. So I, th I think that's why it makes Silicon Valley so unique because when I was there, I had my own perception working in China and Hong Kong, what a VC or an angel investor should be or should be looking for. But I found it to be very different actually when you are on the ground in Silicon Valley, there's, there's so many talents, right? And there's so many proposals. For example, the, the firm that I'm with in average, we got maybe 100, 120 proposals. Every day. Every day. So it, it came in in all different forms. Some guys just walk in and give you a package. Uh, a whole bunch of them came through emails. And, and of course, we go out and also and do a lot of deal sourcing, right? So 100, 120 every day. And then out of those, 
honestly, we invested in less than five every month. Wow. Right? So that means, so we pass over thousands of proposals every month. But go back to your questions again. So what are those that we fund? Mainly is because of the investor, uh, of, of the founder. Uh, so, it, so, so are it, you telling me if a yeah. founder, so what about the founder? If they've done it before, is that what you look for? Have they done it before? Have they succeeded? Is that one of the criteria? What are the criteria in the founder? Yeah. So if they have done it before, they read a subject matter, uh, a master of the subject matter. For example, if you're going to build a software, right? You better show me that you have solid experience in building software or you better work for some big startup enterprise that has done this before to give you credentials. If you have done it before and you have been successful, I think that's great. You have done it before and you failed and now you won't do it again, that's great too. We seldom invest in anyone who have never done it before and just have a great idea. I see. So That's failed or successful, it doesn't matter as long as they've done it before. Yes, they have to done it before because then if you've done it before and you fail, then hopefully you've learned something. And while we're looking at your application or where we're interviewing you, we don't focus on the success. We focus on the failure. What have you learned? Why do you think this time? It's, it's, going to, it's going to happen. So I think it's, it's very important on the founder. So people on a very early startup, and then of course, then the size of the market. If, if you are working on something that is very niche, then very likely it's not going to fly. We don't want to spend a lot of time helping you to build something that has a very small TAM. But if you're working on something that you have expertise and, and the TAM is big, that's great. We don't care too much about valuation. And usually as a good founder in early stage, you are not very hung up on valuation also. So for example, if a guy comes to us and argue about we should worth a million more or 500k more on the valuation, very likely that's not the company you want to invest in. Mm. As a great founder, as a great founder, you don't worry too much about valuation. Then then you, you ask me like, then, then Mr. G, what should I worry about? Wait, it, it's really how much the investor can help you to take you to the next stage. That's what you should be looking into. The valuation, it, it doesn't really matter at such early stage. So right. that means like if you are building a, I don't know, enterprise software product, then you're looking at early investors who actually can help you to gain customers who maybe who, who themselves is, you know, have a whole bunch of CIO in their pockets that want to try your product. Those are much more important than whether your valuation now is 8 million or 10 million. Okay. Make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So aside from the founder, is there anything else, key attributes that you go, you know what, these are critical things that I value when I look at a, a, a new startup enterprise in the Silicon Valley. Is there anything else aside from the founder? They really understand what does it takes to build a successful company. We've interviewed a lot of founders who are very talented, but they are pretty much like engineers. Then we know maybe he or she can build a great product, 
but will not be able to take it to market successfully. So is there other people that are around him or her that he or she is bringing into the team that will be able to cover that for him? Mm. So if he, for example, is an engineer, he can build great software products. Does he has a sales guy that he will be able to partner with, be able to bring a product to market? or somebody who is in finance. So it's a team. Of course, the founder is in the middle because if there's not a product, then it's not going to thrive. Everybody has a shortcoming. Does he or she realize what the shortcoming is and is he or she coachable? So they're expecting the VC to coach them. Will he or she listen to all this advice? So they're they're expecting the VC to coach them in a way. Yes. So most of the company that we invest or we invested and failed, a lot of them is whether the founder or the CEO is coachable or not. Of course, once in a thousand, <laughs> you know, one founder is not coachable, but it could be very successful, mm-hmm. like in Uber. <laughs> but 999 will fail. So whether the guy is coachable, whether he or she understand his own shortcoming, it's going to make or break early startup. Okay. So how is this, just a quick diversion, how is this different from China? You've done, you've seen it all in China too. So how is this different from Silicon Valley VC methodology versus China, Shenzhen or technology VC? Is there, can you lay out the differences very quickly? Sure, sure. So I I think like in a nutshell, in China, when the projects you look at could be more new ways of doing things, new ways of going to market, or new ways of packaging, new ways, you know, because in China, there's a lot more opportunity. If you find a new way to package your product differently, if you find a new way to go to market differently, you find a new way to use the technology better, Mm -hmm. you can actually build a business and go very fast. So you don't have to really go down and invent the technology by yourself. So that's a good thing about China. But in some Silicon Valley, in US, it's a mature market, right? You can't go in and I'm gonna beat up Johnson & Johnson. I'm gonna go in and beat up General Motors. You, you can't do that. If you doesn't have core technology, you just have an idea, it's not gonna work. Because it's just, oh, I want to package it differently. It's not gonna work. So. A lot of times in Silicon Valley, you really have to look at startups that actually have a core technology. Mm. That through that core technology, then they can build a business model. Then they have a chance to change the legacy. So it's it's very different. What is good or bad? Well, because in China, you don't have to do that. There's so many opportunities. So you can just leverage on existing technology, you package it differently. You can do very well. If you look at, if you look at all these like big, even Pinduoduo, right, or Meituan, or even all these a lot of new companies in China, a lot of them are packaging. They use mo- mo- the new mobility technologies, right? They need go to market. They use new logistic. They could be very successful. In US, I doubt it. You you, you almost take a t- Tesla, right? You have to invent everything from the bottom, battery technology, motor technology, everything from the bottom in order to build a new business. Then you can disrupt the old ones. Huge difference. So it also means 
the return in U.S. is much longer. Oh, is that so right? you invest in a startup in U.S., your average return is going to take five to eight years in U.S. In China, it's three to five years. So much quicker. So you much, either know you made it or you didn't make much it. Much quicker. Yes, much quicker in, in China. But then, so it leads to the problem. Now China, people say, oh, because then China doesn't have core technology. Because it, you don't have to do the core stuff to build a business in China. Mm. Versus in U.S., especially in Silicon Valley, you don't have the core stuff. You can't build a business. So fundamentally yeah, very different. So in U.S., because your return is much longer, then you actually will have to invest in a few more companies in order to get the reasonable returns. So in, in China, you're more concentrated for sizable investment. So for example, in new startup, usually you put in say a million US dollars per project. Right. And you, maybe you do 10 in China. But in US, you do 500K, but you do 20. I see. In US. So what about, okay, so on the success ratio, right? What is it like in, like you were just mentioning off air, how it's different. You're chasing after projects in the VC world in Silicon Valley. It's not as you thought it was. So what is it really like? Do you, you get a lot of projects thrown at you every day, but how you were saying that in some cases you're chasing the projects. So tell me a little bit about that. How, what is that? Good projects versus not so good projects. Yeah, there's a lot of not so good projects, right? A lot of Stanford, Berkeley graduates, everybody has an idea to right. do a business. So you get a proposal and then you just flip through it and you put it how, under how your desk. Right? How long do you spend on a proposal typically? What is a typical good size? Is it 10 pages, 15 pages? Is it a lot of graphics? Is it a lot of like words? Is it like, what do you prefer? Like, just sorry to inject, but what is it typically like? What would you like to see? So first of all, when we look at the project, so it's very important that we understand what is the business problem this company is trying to solve or what this founder is trying to solve. Okay. If after the first 60 seconds, I didn't get it, then I put it under my desk. In the garbage can. <laughs> in, the, in the garbage can. In a polite way, we say under the desk. There's <laughs> a garbage right. can under the desk. <laughs> because it's like, what? If, if the guy doesn't even define very clearly, like what or he or she is trying to do in the first six seconds, there's no point for me to keep reading. Okay. 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 So I think that's number one. And then number two, is that problem significant enough or get me excited enough to keep reading? Okay. Because if it's not, that means like more of my other partners or you know investors would not be interested. Okay. So we also go under the desk. <laughs> okay. Right? So, <laughs> so almost <laughs> the first 60 seconds will, maybe it's not a bad proposal, but maybe it's also not in my portfolio. So it goes on to the second question that you have is, so we also actively going out to look for companies that solve particular problems. Okay. For example, at one point of time when I was there, we're especially interested in mobile security companies. Okay. Because mobile is big, maybe corporate is going mobile and there's a lot of issues in mobile. So we 
as a company, as a firm, was very interested in mobile security companies. So when we see a proposal, they say oh, mobile security, of course we're interested. So, so mm. we keep we keep looking. Then also we would actively go out and seek for good startup in mobile security. Mm-hmm. And that's a reason for it. Because if we're into mobile security, that could be we already invested on a number of companies that we hold some part of the puzzle already. Yeah. Maybe encryption. Maybe more device control, but we could be missing some pieces too. It could be on the hands of other um, founders out there or with other you know, VCs company. So we always, as a community, as a VC community, come and get a lot of cocktails, art shows, and this and that. Why? Because we want to compare puzzles. Mm. We want to compare puzzles. Like Peter, hey, I know you're interested in security, but like mobile. We invested in these two guys, these, these two puzzles. What do you have in your pocket? So maybe you tell, oh, I have this and that, and maybe one plus one equals to three. So then we also could brokerage deals that you invest in some of my companies, I invest in some of yours. Or we'll together will say, you know what? Actually, Angela, she got another <laughs> company that we should go talk to. So that is also very different in Silicon Valley. It is also a social network that mm-hmm. We talk to each other. So we, we do deals together too. So now I understand, Peter, your expertise in certain areas in mobile. But now I see this company I thought is great, but I'm not so sure. I'll actually call you up. We're not competitor. We're not like, oh, you know, when you're in DRO, then all the investors compete with each other to try to get shared and all that, right? But early stage, it's never. Never. We, we are we're actually a team, right? So I call you up and say, hey, Peter, I see this guy. He's looking for a million dollars. I think the tech is pretty cool. Let me send you the PPT. You take a look. If you're interested, the guy is coming and present at our dinner meeting uh, next week. Why don't you just come and, and, and join? So yeah. we'll do the due diligence together and maybe we'll invest together. So I, I don't see that in China. I don't see that in Asia. So, so the VC in China, also, oh, this is my deal. This is your deal. But, but not in Silicon Valley. So we have a community and everybody know each other and pretty friendly. So some guys call us also and say, hey, help us to look at this too. Very cool. So how would the, you know, so how about the guys like BlackRock, Blackstone, you got a lot of the big players, right? Sequoia, yeah. these guys, is there, obviously they're interested in early rounds as well, but are they a lot more focused on a little bit on the later rounds, the, the monetization to be able to push yeah. to market. So how do you work with some of these firms to, bring a project together. Do you then go, okay, hey, you know what? I see a really, like you said, I see a really great project. We're going to come together and see if we can push it through and, and refer the right people to solve the pieces of the puzzle. What does that look like? Do you then, you know, take that and pitch it to even a bigger firm and then get the bigger investors later rounds? How do you work with the other VCs in this case to make sure that the investment that you make, you try to help them make the next later rounds to get the higher valuations and then ultimately to perhaps go IPO? Very quick questions. And that's a Silicon Valley secret that I'm going to share with you. That ah, a lot of people perfect. actually doesn't know. So you're talking about all these big guys in Sand Hill Roads. Okay. Right? Rock, Sequoia, you know, all these guys. And they're pre-IPO, they're the very late stage. And we're very early stage. We're A, we're B, right? So how do we connect it with them? And the secret is food and law firm. Food and law firm. 
So these guys are using big law firms. Okay. And these law firms are always looking for business. And these law firms understand what BlackRock and Sequoia is looking for. Right. And they actually are partner in the angel community. I tell you what, where do we have our dinner meetings? So well, the founder will come and present. We're like, so, so where do we get all these like offers and nice conference room and coffee and everything? In the law firm office at night. Really? So you don't do it in your office. Yes. You do it in the law firm. Why should we do it in our office? Do it in the law firm office, right? They have great facilities, <laughs> right? They have great coffee machine, cappuccino, <laughs> everything, free stuff because they need business too. So the law firms sponsor us. And I tell you what, the founder is more comfortable coming to a big law firm to present. They feel more you know, protected, the IP and everything because they understand you actually work with this big law firm. So great. So what for the law firm is, if we're going to invest in this company, we're going to say, okay, the contract has to be done by this law firm. And then through this law firm, we can tell them, you know what, mobile security. Who are these big guys in San Hill Row is looking for mobile security? So they, they can know. connect. They can connect. Yeah. Yeah. They say, well, well why didn't you call Ryan as a choir? Like he's doing stuff like that. So the so kind of the law firm is, is, is the middleman for us in Silicon Valley to facilitate all this. So they facilitate. Most people don't know. That is very cool. So they basically bridge, and because now they can magnify the amount of business that they do and, and, and everything else like that. So they can now connect you to the people to the later stage, later rounds to be able to monetize. That's very cool. That's that very cool. So here's the thing. Is, so Mr. G, Mr. G. So we all understand the risks of, of early startups. You especially did a lot of early round seed angel a b so we all understand the risk we all understand the reward well we, we hear of the some of the rewards how do you how do you see the return versus the reward so now you're talking you earlier mentioned in the silicon valley you might spread your million dollars to 20 20 companies so five percent each and then almost help but hope that one of them will make it because you're still looking at alert a fairly lengthy period between the fact that you can invest your capital to the time that you return, what is the average success ratio for the amount of failures? And, and then what okay. is the reward attached with that? Okay. Just in general, in Silicon Valley, you should be looking at a 40x return in one company. Four, 40 times. Four zero. Okay. 40 times return. So when you exit, you better make 40x. You know, the one that made it, made the exit means usually Silicon Valley very seldom it will go IPO. So, so that's also different. Than it, it got acquired. The reason is because most of the startups actually have core technology. Even though they didn't make it all the way to IPO, if they build a business that you know, can prove to have success and be they prove they have a even minimum market product fit, there is company willing to acquire the technology. So that's why usually in Silicon Valley, the exit is an acquisition instead of IPO. Right. So one way or the other, go back to your question, when you exit, you better make 40X in that one successful investment that you make. 
to cover our whole bunch. <laughs> That's not going to make it. Okay. Yeah, to loss or right off. So the failure rate is very, very high. Right. Okay. So, so that's okay. why you have in China, okay. so, you do 10, in US, you have to do 20. So 20, would you get one successful one? No, if you, if you look at the math, it's like you, you invest in 30, maybe we got one, hopefully that can make a 30, 40 times return. Then you make a reasonable ROI. <laughs> so that means if you do the math, yeah. So that's 30 so, of them will fail. So it's a numbers game, right? So as much as you, you give your experience and everything else like that, but there's a lot of it is a little bit of luck. How much of it is luck in this case? Define luck, right? Um, we don't just pick a company to invest. So it's real money. And, and then we have you know, a team of guys actually spend months to do due diligence. So, so it's not luck. But then of course there, there is a lot of luck after you invest, <laughs> a competition came out with better products, or the sector becomes very regulated and, and it fails. So even though after all this work that we have done, we thought we're pretty good, the failure rate is still very high. So I, I tell you who, who are some of our partners. So usually in this kind of early stage firm, very senior guys, right? So average age, maybe 50. So each one of them has 30 years of experience working in a senior capacity in finance or like my field is cybersecurity. Some of the guys are in retail or logistics. They have their special healthcare. They have their, their they have their specialties and some guys are very good at finance and mergers and acquisition. So whenever we see a deal that I like. So say, for example, it falls into my lap because it's cybersecurity and I have to sponsor the founder and present it to these guys who ask very tough questions <laughs> and who actually can call whoever you claim to be customers and verify that actually you have a working product right. or who can actually look at your books in 30 seconds and tell you <laughs> this is funny, this, 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 this is just not... Yeah, it's a funny business or not. So, so, so I'm just telling you, even with that, the failure rate is, is still very, very high. So yeah, it's, it's a very risky business. It's a very, very risky business. But the but return is just great, very, like 40x, 50x. But when you make it, you feel like the king of the world, right? Yeah, you feel like you're king of the world. And if you don't make it, then again, like everybody's learning, just like we, we are we're almost like the founders, right? Hopefully the investment that failed, we learn something. We learn what is controllable and what is not controllable. And hopefully we become a better firm also. But something very fun about investing in Silicon Valley is you see all these crazy ideas, you always see all these crazy people. And some of these ideas are like just, just like crazy idea. And yeah, but, but but that was part of, part of the fun. Even though you don't invest the business, you gotta have lunch with some of these guys that were, were crazy. And one of these guys that I met with was actually an F sixteen fighter pilot. Okay, working for the is, is, Israeli Air Force, and his startup was actually a anti detection fence, electric fence. Okay, that they that he said. He can build across the Mexican uh, U.S. border. With <laughs> Donald Trump, I can tell you. 
just fun, crazy ideas. I mean, just listen to some of the smartest people in the world, fighter pilot, or a very young doctor, 15 years old, PhD, talking about this thing that he, he's trying to build. It's just like, wow. <laughs> so you get inspired. That, you hear sense. all the different things that are possible. You hear all the different things. And if you are a guy who actually is depressed or go to Silicon Valley and do VCs because you meet positive people every day. <laughs> Something that we've done, you and I have chatted, right? About let's keep the company nameless, but something that was very inspiring to me was your analytical skills, right? Because you were sharing about this particular company that you and I are both looking right. at, where you were able to dissect based upon logic that it's quite unlikely that bi this business would be successful over a long period of time. Walk me through that process. Just keep the company nameless, right? We're not here for trading. Uh, we don't, this is for learning and education, but from that standpoint, with this particular company, you were mentioning to me how they were, depending on who backed the company up, who invested into the company, that would result in the likely success of that company. Can you share a little bit about a little bit of that backdrop? And you can, you can talk about the industry, but we'll just leave, leave the company nameless. Yeah, sure. Yeah, got it. So, so if, if, if we go back and the thing that got my attention to this company is the valuation was very high. Like, and it's a publicly traded company. It is a publicly traded a publicly company. Traded company. It's a very high valuations. And then most of my friends never heard of it. <laughs> wow, gee, how come in China we have such a high valuation company that most of my friends in the VC community like not even investing into it because these days in China, it's, it's, they're big investors from Tencent and Baidu, Sequoia, you know, everybody's looking for opportunities. If you're in the space of education, in the space of like online education, which is very hard right now, like they don't, they don't miss opportunity like that. They have actually think the company is not investable or they have actually looked at the material and put it under the desk. <laughs> right. Got it. So that got my that yeah, so that got my attention. And then it, it just drive because they're a public company, so then you know, just start looking at all the financials and everything. And my experience, my 20 years experience in China and say this is no way. And nobody nobody yeah. There's the red flag, right? There's that red flag of you saying, no, there's something wrong. You guys didn't miss the opportunity. So you guys decided not to invest in it. If you decide not to invest in it, that is a tell, a telltale sign that there's something unique about this situation, about this particular company. And that's why you were able to find the anomaly, something that's the difference where you go, now this is a company that we should probably look at uh, shorting or for that matter. And that's how you come to that analysis. I thought that was, Mr. G, I thought that was brilliant brilliant. It was incredible. And that's the experience you bring. I would, and we're just talking. And, and when you told me about that, I was like, my God, I can't believe that's how you figured it out. So yeah, but also how we came with the target is 
of course, everybody knows about the Latin coffee thing in U.S. that blows up. So first of all, is you look at company that listed around those time frames. Okay. <laughs> so because the Chinese company before they go IPO, they copy each other's homework. Right. So right. That leaves a lot of tracks on which are some of these companies that raise a lot of red fat, as as you call it. There's still a whole bunch to come. <laughs> Still so, so it's not over yet. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so, so two more. I know I've taken a lot of your time, but there's two questions I have, right? I mean, we'll, we'll keep going. But one is, what do you see of the Luckin coffee? This whole tobacco being suspended and then coming back and then being delisted. Now it's trading in the OTC market. Luckin coffee, you're physically in China right now, although you haven't visited Luckin coffee yet. But the reality is, what are you seeing? Do you think that this company will, number one, it's backed up by a lot of VCs, right? A lot of Chinese VCs. It's definitely, it's got more stores, more physical locations than that of Starbucks. It exceeded that in 2019. So what do you see of this company going forward? They've removed some of their senior executives. Now, what do you see hypothetically moving forward with a company like Luckin Coffee? My guess is my viewers actually Luckin Coffee will survive. I think there is a need for coffee type of beverages in China. I think they actually have a brand too. I did have Locking Coffee. It's not that bad. It's actually, it's, it's pretty good. I think the previous management were too greedy. They trying to expand and trying to build a story, not a raise capital and then get to a fast track to IPO in US and do all these like funny stuff. But despite all this, so if you really look at the business, I think it's a pretty good business. You look at Starbucks, it's making pretty good margins, right, around the world. I think now if they really put in management and you put capital and really start building a business, I think there is a business for that. And also if you look around, you don't see a lot of competition coffee in China also, right? So maybe they did the right thing also by expanding so fast, they inflating their, you know, business. So they raised so much capital. They opened so many stores. They killed everybody <laughs> who actually tried to get into the coffee business. So I think they will survive. I, I would even consider buying some of the stocks sometime down the road because I think they will survive. But Going back to the company that we talked about, <laughs> I don't think they will survive. <laughs> you actually think that this online education business will actually be gone? For this guy. Because if you look around, there are gorillas in the market who has been in the business for 10, 15 years, who actually have real students, real teachers, who are actually putting real money and they're even after all this, they are still, you know, trying to grow. So you are competing with big gorillas in the market. And if your business right now is phony, you're not going to survive because they will just take over. Mm. But in a locking coffee case, if you look around in China, who, who is the coffee market gorillas here in China? Starbucks. The Starbucks is a U.S. company. And so China still eventually will start to favor like anything, I've realized that a lot of businesses, they were foreign companies at one time, from the tobacco business to the, the liquor business, to then the iPhone business, 
and then the coffee business, every an electric car now is on the trend. So we don't know if Neil or Xpeng and all these other guys are going to be taking another uh, strive at the, the Tesla story. But okay, here, here's another thing. So with that being in, in mind, because you have both the Chinese and the American experience, and especially in the cybersecurity, how is a lot of companies talk about, you shared with me as well, a lot of companies don't make a lot of money and they actually don't want to make a lot of money in their growth phase of a business because they want the, you know, perceived by the VCs or investors, they want to be perceived as R&D, constantly rolling their capital to be able to expand and, and have higher valuation. Can you share with us a little bit more specifically? How do you look at that? What's this thing about company? A lot of companies, like even Facebook wasn't making money. Google wasn't making money. Amazon wasn't making money till even the time that they've already been listed. How much of that is a myth? How much of that is true? It's very true. So if you listen to John Chambers, the ex-CEO of Cisco, so he said, in a growth company, in a high growth company, if that company is making money, we should fire the CEO because the CEO has underinvested in a company. So the board of investors, so the board of directors should fire the CEO. I think it's very true. If, if you look at right across Silicon Valley right now, especially if you're in software, because your sun capital is so much in order to build product and the customer acquisition cost isn't that much compared with the sunk cost for you to build a product. So if you stop acquiring customers in order to make a profit, you are not a good CEO. And especially if you're selling software, which is sticky. Right? So you look at my term, like software as a whole right now, right? Everybody's talking about cloud, right? But why cloud? Why everybody's talking about cloud? What's the beauty about cloud, right? So yeah, to the end user, oh, I got, I don't have to build infrastructure, it's on demand, pay as you go. But what about to the vendor? Why does the vendor support going to cloud? Because of annual revenue, recurring revenue, because of predictability, because of stickiness. Once you're in my cloud, I got you. Right. And you got to pay me month after month. So every software company in Silicon Valley is moving to the cloud, not because they like cloud, because they want to hook you up into the cloud. And then you got to pay them like every month. And that provides credibility to the business and that drive up valuations of, of the stock. Go back to your questions. So... If a company start making profit and if it's high growth, then the valuation will be impacted because people will think you are running out of ideas, you're running out of customers or you're running out of innovation. So at least in Silicon Valley, people will look at it that way and you are being penalized. Okay, that's very valuable insight. So in closing, uh, taking a lot of your time, this is something that I think all of us would find very interesting as well valuation right from startup to like you say at the very onset your early startup valuation is not that important to later stage where it doesn't seem like it's very important in this day and age tesla for example all time it's the valuation is humongous it's bigger than a lot of the major bmw gm and all these guys combined so the reality is this 
how much, how do somebody like in the VC world or how as an investor too, right? Where we have many of us here listening, entrepreneurs and investors, how are they going to value a company like Tesla or how are they going to value a company like Snowflake? Is it based upon growth? Is it based upon revenue? Is it based upon net profit? Is it based upon the dream? Is it based upon what type of things at a later stage then justifies evaluation in your opinion? I think different industry actually have different benchmarks. So okay. more mature industry, maybe they look at profit, PE and all that. But in my space, which is more software or enterprise software, it's growth, definitely is growth. Because the sunk cost is so much and the additional customer acquisition cost is nothing compared with the cost of building the product. It's most, most important. If your company has, we don't care whether you make money or not today because we know eventually you're going to make money. As long as you can grow and acquire customers, we'll give you a much high valuation versus on another similar company with similar revenue, but we don't see that much growth. The valuation could be 10x difference versus a company that has high growth and a company has relatively like stagnant growth with the same revenue today the valuation could be 10x difference. That is software. very interesting. So Mr. G, we all appreciate you being here. Thank you for sharing your expertise, your knowledge, your experience about both China and, and the USA in terms of Shenzhen and, and all the high tech, as well as that of Silicon Valley. Is there any departing words that you want to share with us? Investors, entrepreneurs looking to raise capital right? Looking to expand our business. Is there anything that you think as a VC from the perspective of a VC, what do you think you can share with us that is going to dramatically impact or perhaps provide some value to us as investors or entrepreneurs today? Something I think I learned from Silicon Valley. So I'll, I'll leave you with something that people like taught me is when you look around, when everything is under control, that means you're not going fast enough. You're not taking enough risks. So I just leave you with that. <laughs> so you guys think about that <laughs> as an investor. Hey, I don't know, man. That's like, you know, got to just do it. Just, so you're basically like, I've heard this saying called stumble forward, right? Like basically you're constantly innovating. You're constantly pushing. And if you figure it out, you're going too slow. Is that what you're saying? You just got to go, you just got to keep moving ahead of trend. Yeah. Yes. And yes, I think, but also is you just got to learn how to be uncomfortable in making decisions. Right. As a VC. Right. Yeah. Because if the decision is very comfortable or after you make the decision is very comfortable, very likely it's not very it's not a great company. You're not adventurous so, so enough. A, you're not, not adventurous enough. Okay. So sometimes you make like very secure, educated deals, but as a VC, as a good investor, sometimes you just have to be learn how to be comfortable in making uncomfortable decisions. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I, I just leave you with that. All right. Awesome. <laughs> 
So guys, Mr. G, thank you for being on here. Thank you for taking the time, sharing your experience, sharing your knowledge. It means a tremendous amount to me and our, and our audience. Guys, this has been truly impactful. You shared a lot of really golden nuggets to me, and I hope you took something away from that as well. So guys, go build a business, go invest, make those uncomfortable choices, make those comfortably because man, 20x, 40x returns. Those are fantastic. But we got to understand how every industry works. And, and Mr. G has been able to share some of those experiences with us today. So Mr. G, thank you very much for being on here. Have a great day, guys.